0: Hi, I'm Lowell. And I'm Aiden. And this is I Read the News Today. Oh, boy. We are still not journalists. Pundits. And we're not uh, meat carvers. (laughs) But we do read the news. And we're here to talk about the shit that's going on. So, Aiden,
1: what is our main topic for this week? We are going to talk about the 2020 Democratic presidential primary.
0: Nice. And so... Today is uh, April 24th, 2019. We're going to checks out. Yep. We're going to review who is currently even in the Democratic primary. And we're going to list them. We're not going to review them. (laughs) We're going to review them. We're (laughs) going to rate them from one to 10 in four categories Uh, cleanliness, uh, catliness, uh, catliness. And, uh, and of course, the most important category. That's only two. You said four. I know, exactly. That was going to be the joke, but then you ruined it. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, Did you get my great cat dog reference? No, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> cat <Cat-liness? laughs> <laughs> That is That's a deep cut. It's a very deep cut. <laughs> Even just bringing cat dog out of the Nickelodeon oeuvre is, uh, is quite a, an amazing feat you've yeah. done here. I've got a list of all of the presidential candidates here from a very well-titled New York Times article, Who's Running for President in 2020 by Alexander Burns? So
1: I just did a quick – I just quickly looked Mm -hmm. and um, Wikipedia estimates that there are about 44 million Democrats in America. And every single one of them is running for president. All 44 million? Yes. That is is impressive but understandable.
0: All of them want to be president now, you know – There's some idea that anyone can do it, and so everyone's doing it. So we wanted to delve in deeper with a few of these candidates that people might not actually know as much about. A lot of these people, Elizabeth Warren, Cory Booker, Bernie Sanders, Beto O'Rourke, Christian Gillibrand, are all very visible. Uh, Kamala Harris, I don't believe I said her name. They're all very, very visible in Our media. uh, And of course, they have a lot. We know a lot about them already. Yep. Uh, Some of these people that we're going to be talking about today, they don't have quite as much recognition. And uh, we're also going to talk a bit about where uh, we're we're going to go off of a piece from 538 called which offices are good stepping stones to the presidency. Now, Aiden, you found this this article here, correct? Yes, yep. I opened this article and read the name of the author of this article and realized it was really familiar. And then I clicked on the name and found that this article was written by Nathaniel Rakich, who is the brother of a good friend from high school. And I didn't know that he was even working in news. It was kind of a strange coincidence that... We just happened upon this article. You
1: you made a, like, exclamation when you realized that. Yeah. And I had no idea what, whether it was positive or negative. It was positive. Well, yeah, but it it, it sounded like you could have just realized there was a big old spider on your face.
0: Oh, there was no spider on my face. I just was really surprised to see that this person who we're going to be talking about his article uh, is someone I know. Let's... Talk about this article a bit. Mm-hmm. It it breaks down what historically what positions people were in when they got nominated, and how many of those people from those same positions actually won. What is the overall consensus that this article makes about about positions that are more likely? So, that-
1: so the article tracks basically all of the positions that people have had prior to running for president when they've then gone on to be the nominee for a major party or won the nomination for a major party. Okay. And, and it also throws in mayor because of uh, we have two mayors running right now.
0: Um, so what, what do they find
1: as more likely? So in terms of winning office, yep. there have been 10 U.S. governors who have gone on to win the presidency, which is larger than any of the other positions.
0: Governor contenders are... In this race are Steve Bullock, John Hickenlooper, Jay Inslee, and potentially Terry McAuliffe.
1: I believe – so this is an older article. This yeah. is from February, and I believe Terry McAuliffe has said that he's not running. Ah. Also, Steve Bullock hasn't declared yet.
0: Yes. Yeah. So governor is poten-
1: – And that makes sense. Governor is a executive position. Being sure. the head of a state, that makes sense that you would – then go on to be the head of the country.
0: Yeah, and it's it's not a uh, position where you are sitting on various committees and mm-hmm. things like that.
1: You are actually serving a very similar function. So next most likely is U.S. Senator. Mm-hmm. So 18 U.S. Senators have been the nominee for a major party and seven have won okay. the presidency. We have
0: many senators in this. We have Cory Booker. Christian Gillibrand, Kamala Harris, Amy Klobuchar, Elizabeth Warren, uh, and Bernie Sanders. After that, we have cabinet-level appointees. So cabinet-level appointees in this race are Julian Castro.
1: And then after that, we have vice president, which... And vice president, just to point out, like the number might be a little bit skewed because there've yeah. been fewer vice presidents.
0: Yeah. So the, this article does does say that vice presidents account for only nine presidential nominees in American history. And although that doesn't sound like a lot, it's because you know there there have been far fewer of them. Yeah. Uh, it 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 might be it might actually be more of a stepping stone to presidency, but really there's there's just less data. Mm-hmm. Uh, there have been less people who have been available to run. Yep. Uh, and one of the things that it says, six of the nine presidential nominees who previously served as vice president have run in the last 60 years. And three of the seven won their party's nomination for president. So that is actually, in recent history, that yeah. is actually a very large.
1: And that makes sense. I number. mean, the, the vice president is a very visual, visible person. Position like yeah, you're you, the average American is much more likely to at least have heard of the vice president than a senator from a state that they don't live in. Yeah, and and that
0: also is more true now that we have more of a public government. Yeah, because of media mm-hmm. uh, than it was earlier in in our history. So we also have to account f- for the fact that the world has changed yeah. so greatly since. A lot of these presidents were running, mm-hmm. uh, and the way that a president runs is is very different. The next one is representatives, or, or other, but I mean, yeah, other uh, is kind of hard to yeah, say. Yeah, other is a weird sort of category. Yeah. So the next one is is U.S. representatives. Mm-hmm. There have only been two presidents who were U.S. representatives as their highest office mm-hmm. prior to being This is one of
1: my favorite facts because, I mean, the last one to do it was James Garfield, which was over 100 years ago. Yeah. But the guy before that was Abraham Lincoln. Yeah. We actually have a lot of
0: 2020 U.S. representative contenders. So although... The
1: stats aren't very high. Yeah, and actually this article, which was is from February, mentions potentially Seth Moulton, Beto O'Rourke, Tim Ryan, and Eric Swalwell, all of whom have now declared. Yeah, uh, and also John Delaney and
0: Tulsi Gabbard. Mm-hmm. So – this is the first section that we kind of want to take a look at a couple yeah. people from, because this is some of the people who we know a little less about Beto O'Rourke. we know about because of his Senate run. Yeah, that's really the 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 big reason. So, you put aside a couple people from this this group that you wanted to tell us about. Which which one do you want to start with?
1: Well, I was going to start with Tulsi Gabbard. Okay. Tell us a bit about her. Yeah. So she's the U.S. representative for Hawaii's 2nd Congressional District. She's been serving since 2013. Um, just sort of a fun fact, she's the first Samoan American and the first Hindu member of the United States Congress. Oh, that's, a, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, she's also a veteran. So she was in the Hawaii... Um, Army National Guard. She served in Iraq. She was depl- deployed to Kuwait, and she um, previously served in the Hawaii House of Representatives. Awesome. Where would you, and I don't know if you know the answer to
0: this, but where would you put her in terms of her policies? What is she really trying to to convey as her u- uniqueness in, in policy for this?
1: So the Times article that we've referred to identifies her signature issue as opposition to American military intervention overseas. Yeah. Um, particularly in Syria. Okay. Which is interesting giving her given her military history. Yeah, I was yeah. gonna say I it, it is very
0: interesting to see someone who does who was in the military who did serve have such an op- opposition. Mm-hmm. We we were listening to some some interviews with her earlier. Mm-hmm. It was a fo- she was on a Fox News interview just after there was a uh, missile launch mm-hmm. in North Korea, uh, and she was talking very emphatically about the fact that this this situation isn't over, and we need to continue to negotiate. Mm-hmm. I think that that definitely from the little bit that I know know about her so far. She definitely seems to, to be advocating for negotiation mm-hmm. over uh, military conflict. Yeah, There are some other facts in here that she has drawn condemnation for meeting with Syria's president, Bashar al-Assad, whose regime has been accused of using chemical weapons against civilians. And she has also apologized for her history of anti-gay statements and her past work for an anti-gay advocacy group. Yep. So, yeah, I mean,
1: she worked with her, um, a political action, uh, committee that her father started, um, in Hawaii, the Alliance for Traditional Marriage. And that, That group worked to protect, quote unquote, traditional marriage during her time as a state legislator, state legislator in Hawaii. She argued against civil unions, uh, but then 2012, she came out in favor of same sex marriage throughout the United States. Okay, I think that is a lot of the Democratic candidates are going through this sort of apology tour for past statements that they've made. And this is one that the campaign for same sex marriage had such the, the momentum it gained was incredible in terms of previous civil civil rights movements like yeah within the democratic party that yeah. was a reasonable position to take in 2004 but within eight years of that and oh, oh barack obama did the same thing barack obama when he first ran for president did not support same-sex marriage. And then yep. I think in around 2012, he came out in favor of well, it.
0: Joe Biden, uh, if, I, if I remember correctly, yeah.
1: kind of made him. Yes, um,
0: <laughs> Joe Biden kind of let the cat out of the bag. Yeah. Um, as you said, there
1: are two mayors in this race. Yes. And that is... So that's what made this article actually stick out to me, yeah. is the information about mayor? So um, in the table at the top of this article... Um, under nominees for major parties, there are zero mayors. Yep. And under winners, there are zero mayors. Yes. Um. So basically, the article kind of makes the point that there's not really data on this. Yeah. Um. The one example it gives is Rudy Giuliani ran yep. for president in 2008. That's absolutely true. His previous highest elected office was mayor of New York. Yep. Uh, but he sort of had a level of celebrity that went beyond simply mayor he promoted himself as america's mayor yes yeah.
0: especially since he was mayor during 9-11 mm-hmm. he was
1: definitely given a lot of media uh national national media yep coverage and the article actually identifies um three people who so there's, there, there's only been three people who would go on to become president who previously served as mayor yes but that wasn't their highest elected office at the time yep. of their candidacy so and that's Andrew Johnson, who was mayor of Greenville, Tennessee,
0: and later vice president. Grover Cleveland was Buffalo mayor and then governor of New York. And Calvin Coolidge was mayor of Northampton, Massachusetts, and then was vice president. These people are trying to be the first to go from directly from mayor to mm-hmm. president. First off, Pete Buttigieg. Mm-hmm. What is is his likelihood at the moment? So
1: I think it's really interesting because if you've been looking at polls for the Democratic nomination, Pete Buttig- Buttigieg is running in the top five in a lot of polls. That's amazing. Particularly given the previously existing data about mayors running for president. Yeah, and on top of that,
0: given the fairly unknown status of this this individual, yeah. uh, he he is not a mayor, the mayor of uh, a, a large. Yeah, he's not like a
1: New York, a Boston yeah.
0: mayor. He's mayor of South Bend, Indiana, yeah. which does not have that same coverage. For example, uh, I saw Bill de Blasio on uh, Wyatt Snacks show uh, mm-hmm. pretty much every episode. This is not th- that kind of yeah. uh, public figure. Can you tell me a little bit more about Pete Buttigieg? Who I believe a lot of people are calling Mayor Pete because yes. they're more lazy than than I am.
1: Yeah. So Mayor Pete, like you said, he's the mayor of South Bend, Indiana. He's a military veteran. Um, we watched his Bill Maher interview before we started recording. Yep. Um, and he is – he promotes himself really as the anti-Donald Trump. Yeah. In a lot of ways. And in, in what ways
0: does he view himself as as anti-Donald
1: Trump? So he views himself as an intellectual. Mm-hmm. He comes from the Midwest. Yep. He is gay. And he's a military veteran. And I would argue that none of those things apply to Donald Trump. He is a military veteran. Mm -hmm. And there's this idea that the Democrats need to do something in 2020 that they didn't do in 2016, which is reach out to voters in the Midwest. Sure. And that's what I think he's hedging a lot of his campaign on, is that appeal.
0: From this list of candidates, I feel like we definitely see quite a few few people from each of the coasts, but we do have some – some people, including Pete Buttigieg, oh, and we have Amy Klobuchar, mm-hmm. who are representing Middle America, yep. and we have Beto O'Rourke from Texas. Mm-hmm. So we, there does seem to be an attempt to cover more portions of of the country, mm-hmm. and and definitely a, a an emboldenment by people who are not from the coasts. Mm-hmm. To run, which the Democratic Party—I don't—I don't know if I can say this with fact with with facts behind it, but it it does seem that a lot of Democratic uh, representatives who are running who have run for president in the past have been from the the Northeast or California. Mm-hmm. Uh, so,
1: and 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 another one to point out is Tim Ryan from Ohio. Oh yes, yeah, of course. Um, and Eric Swalwell, while he represents California, was um, born in Iowa, so he's also trying to leverage some appeal to the Midwest. Yes, and of course, there's also uh,
0: John Hickenlooper from Colorado. Mm-hmm. I mean you could
1: also you could also make the argument that there are 21 candidates in the field. And there are a ton of candidates in the field. <laughs> at a certain point, you're going to run out of representatives from the cult coast, and you're going to have to find some from Middle America. That is mayors. That's
0: the Mayor Pete corner. Do you, want to, do you want to talk any more about – no, there is I a mean, lot of information about Mayor Pete. He is a very charismatic speaker and I do recommend checking him out and seeing what he has to say because I, I, I think that he's – I think,
1: yeah, against all odds, I think he's a real contender.
0: Yeah, he's 37 years old. Uh, one of the things – That, that is, is another thing, another opposite yeah. of Donald Trump is he's, he's 37. Exactly. One of the things that he said on Bill Maher was that he thinks a lot about what the world will be like in – 2054 as a result of of mm-hmm. his actions, if he were president, because that is the year that he would be the same age as the president that yeah. we currently have. Uh, so he is, he is talking a lot about his generational identity and his call for policies on issues like climate change and economic opportunity that he thinks is really key to his campaign for president. Mm-hmm. And it separates him from other people
1: in the race. Yeah. So now we want to talk about Other. Yeah, Other is sort of the potpourri. Yeah, so it is deceptively nine
0: nominees and five winners. Some of those winners include
1: George Washington, Ulysses S. Grant, and Dwight Eisenhower. Yeah, for the most part, it's anyone who—they might not have necessarily held elected office, but they were— in the military prior to running for office, or they were
0: ambassadors. There, yeah. are, there are a couple of uh, am- people who who were ambassadors, or
1: they were the chairman of the Trump um,
0: organization.
1: Yes. So uh, the the last
0: and and only person in our history who has become president without uh, any political or mer- military experience is, of course, Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. So he is the only one that. The statistics don't really fit um, at all. Who is in this other category? And the other person that you wanted to talk about is. Oh, is that a question? It was kind of like an ellipses. A a leading question? Yeah, it was an ellipses. Okay, Andrew Yang. First off, his background is in in technology. Mm -hmm. Uh, Do you know anything more
1: about that? So he's a former tech executive. He uh, founded Venture for America. He has worked with startups and early stage growth companies. I don't know a ton about him, to be perfectly honest. Sure. Uh, I mean, he's, he was born
0: in in uh, Schenectady, New York. His parents are immigrants from Taiwan, mm-hmm. according to his Wikipedia page. His father graduated with a PhD in physics and worked in research labs of IMB and General Electric with – over 69 patents in his career. Nice. Nice. He's a venture capitalist for the most part. That is is his trade. Do you know why
1: he, he got into this race? Well, isn't this big issue the universal basic income?
0: Yeah. yeah. That is definitely what it looks like. Uh, so tell us a little bit about universal
1: basic income. So the idea of the universal know. basic income would be to... I, I believe his proposal is $1,000 a month for all Americans above the age of 18. That is money that comes directly from the federal government? Yes. So yeah, I mean it would be sort of like a, a Medicare or a Medicaid, but instead of getting medical care, you're receiving cold hard cash.
0: Yeah, yeah, and you can do whatever you, you want with it. Yeah. And so what? He, when we watched an interview with him, one of the things that he, he pointed to was the fact that uh, – that Alaska has a similar system to this already because of the oil fields in Alaska mm-hmm. and the fact that there is money coming into Alaska from that oil. In Alaska, every citizen over the age of 18, I believe as well, uh, gets $1,000 a year of, of income from the state. What are your feelings on this?
1: I I think it's a very tough issue to to make your signature campaign issue for 2020. Yeah. Um, If you're like, we we, we can say with almost absolute certainty that the big issue that's going to be raised by Donald Trump is the specter of socialism. Yeah. And this feels like, not unlike Marianne Williamson, a very easy way to point to the Democrats and say, this is the socialism we're warning you about. Yeah, it feels like...
0: This is what the Republican National Committee is best at fear-mongering towards. It feels like the type of thing that they're going to push back against very, very consistently. I actually talked to you last week about potentially talking about artificial intelligence. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I still think we should have a conversation yeah, about that. definitely. <laughs> He actually got this idea from a book that I was act- actually wanted to reference in that conversation, mm-hmm. called "Rise of the Robots: Techno- Technology and the Threat of a Jobless Future" by Martin Ford. Mm-hmm. I think that the basis for why he is proposing this is very real there are a lot of
1: i agree i I read an article about this last year that said basically in the future this is going to become a necessity absolutely because sadly a lot of jobs are
0: going to disappear forever Mm -hmm. once artificial intelligence becomes both efficient enough and cheap enough for companies to really implement it and and a lot of major companies already are implementing machinery that can operate itself that needs one person to do the jobs that it used to take hundreds, sometimes thousands of people to do. So that is the basis of this. It It is something that I think that we need to immediately begin talking about. I don't know that I don't think that the. I don't know what's going to happen. He's here's in what's going to happen.
1: He's going to be in a textbook someday when this idea is being seriously considered yep. as the first person who brought it up. It, the first person who brought it up in a campaign. In a campaign, and uh,
0: he he does have enough support at the moment and
1: enough backing at the moment, or at least he says he does. At least he says yeah. he does. To I don't think we've gotten his campaign filing yet.
0: To he, what what he said in an interview that we, we well that we watched was that he has already been invited to the first debates.
1: Yeah, so he could have oh. said yellow matter custard is dripping from a dead dog's eye. <laughs> he could it would have. have had exactly as much factual basis.
0: Yeah, I mean, you make a good point. We don't know for for certain what what if what he's saying is is factual. But on the other hand. Uh, I really hope that we do start the conversation. Mm-hmm. I don't know that he is. He's a he's a single issue candidate. Yeah, they don't. Well, he's not a single issue candidate. What are his other issues? So his other issue is he's opposed to circumcision. That's an a-
1: That is an actual issue that he has. That is a actual stance he has taken during the campaign. So this is an actual position that he took. So. It's a little bit unusual because it wasn't a
0: tweet. OK, well, that's sadly no longer unusual. Yes. <laughs> to take posi- fair. <laughs> to take major policy matters into Twitter is not
1: unusual these days. Very fair. But he posted on Twitter on March 13th a, a tweet about the opioid e- epidemic and received a response from user Jellyfish Rave that said, Do you have an opinion on routine infant circumcision? To which Andrew Yang said negative on it, to which Jellyfish yeah. rave clarified, just to be clear, is that a negative in that you're against the practice, which I'm assuming, or a negative as in you have no opinion? Thanks. To which Andrew Yang tweeted... Against the practice. I can't I can't fathom why he responded. I Well, clearly he
0: he does have opinions on it because this is a Rolling Stone article called 2020 candidate Andrew Yang takes a stand against Ellipse's circumcision.
1: And it might actually be to just give the counter argument to what I just said. I don't yeah. know why he responded to it. We're talking, <laughs> We're talking about it. We're talking about it. We're talking about it. And and that's actually what in this article,
0: in the first paragraph, it references that he was the longest of long shots. And now he is polling as a French uh, contender because of this. There is a whole movement called the Intactivists that believe that foreskin should remain intact.
1: We're talking about it because he tweeted it, and that's horrifying.
0: It's horrifying. He says, I'm highly aligned with the intactivists. History will prove them even more correct.
1: It's bizarre. (laughs) It's bizarre. It's a bizarre story. Yeah, I don't want to talk anymore about this because we're playing directly into his campaign strategy. I mean, this kind
0: of thing, this kind of overblown, strange statement... Is how Trump got a lot mm-hmm. of his media coverage? Does Trump have an official stance, stance on circumcision? I, I don't I don't know if he is or is not an intactivist.
1: This is a very scary thing to Google. <laughs> Trump circumcision. go for it.
0: I like that you're looking for the spelling of the word circumcision. Next up for Donald all right, Trump is This is horrifying. this is ceremony. horrifying. All right, I want to know what that article I is horrifying. to know what that article That will be our
1: lead next week. <laughs> it will. When I'm replaced with the ghost of myself <laughs> that has left the room.
0: I'm certain going to be talking so much more about all of these people.
1: Probably
0: to a point where all of us in, in the country watching the news listening to the news, reading the news, are going to be sick of their faces, their names, and every single mistake they've ever made. Yes. So I think that we can move on. But before we do that, there is one person who has announced their candidacy who we have not talked about other than the incumbent. And that is William F. Weld, Massachusetts, former governor of Massachusetts, former federal prosecutor. And... He is running as a Republican candidate against Donald Trump in the primaries. Mm -hmm. And so we are expecting that we're going to talk a lot more about him and what that means that he is running at a later date. But right now I'm just going to give you a quote from this article uh, of Bill Weld. Uh, I hope to see the Republican Party assume once again the mantle of being the party of Lincoln, and you
1: know, there's a lot there. He doesn't specify which Lincoln. <laughs> he doesn't. He could mean could a, be Andrew Lincoln. He could mean former a, star of The Walking Dead. Mm, the I only mean, other Lincoln I could name off the top
0: of what head. about what about his wife and children? His wife,
1: whom? Yep, Mary Todd
0: Lincoln. I'm just going to edit it so it sounds like I said that originally. Yeah. <laughs> Are we getting weird in in here? Yeah, we're now gonna move on to some uh, stranger news. Um, so this is a pretty, this is a some, somewhat dark one. All right,
1: gotta allow ads first. Cool. Oh, uh, okay. Cool. Wow, that's that's heavy. <laughs> can you can you uh, can you read it for me? So the headline is "Back to Earth: Washington Set to Allow Human Composting." Yeah. So. I'm I'm guessing this is Washington State. Yes, Olympia, Washington. Washington so this is state. Washington State.
0: Washington appears set to become the first state to allow a burial alternative known as natural organic reduction, which is an accelerated decomposition process that turns body into soil within weeks. I guess my major question with with this article for you, Aiden, is mm-hmm. What else do you think we could use our bodies for when we're dead? Well,
1: so I want to do a quick Google here. So are you familiar with the concept of a body farm? I am not. All right. A body farm is a research facility where human bodies are left to decompose for the purposes of research.
0: Oh, fun. Cool. Yeah. So this is a list of all the body farms. Out there, yep. At university research facilities tend to be a pretty large regional universities. Yep, Tennessee at Knoxville, which Western was the Carolina. original
1: body farm. Oh,
0: <laughs> Western Carolina University, Texas State University, Sam Houston State University, Southern Illinois, Colorado Mesa, and University of South Florida. This is this is some some crazy shit. Uh, but I guess they've used used. This research for forensic advancement, medical practice
1: advancement, and that's pretty cool. And I believe they're donated bodies. It's not like you are sentenced to decomposition. There are three ways in which the
0: farms can access a body. That's a weird way to put that, Wikipedia. Access the body? mm, uh, Obtain would be better, but access is wrong. Access um, has
1: a very sort of a, <laughs> has a creepy feel. To it, it has a, a feeling of your you're you're, you're getting acquired some new <laughs> specimens.
0: Yes. The first way, the first
1: way is uh, state medical examination. And wait, I do offices. want to real quick yep. before we continue. Um, it does say that the first body farm was started at the University of Tennessee at Knoxville by uh, anthropologist Docu- Dr. William M. Bass. I want to know if he looks exactly like I think he does. Let's find out. He does look exactly how I thought he would. Is that
0: how you thought? I I was thinking a little bit more Jack Kevorkian-y. I... You know, I with the with the name Bass, for some reason, I thought he was going to be old and folksy. This and he's a, really folksy. Well, yeah, but he, he professionally, he looks like a farmer, a farmer of bodies. That's <laughs> that's dark. <laughs> oh, and this
1: is man. yeah.
0: There are a lot of pictures of him with skulls on the internet. Okay, he is exactly the person I yeah. thought he was going to be.
1: Yeah, the more the more I think about it, yes. yeah.
0: He he's a he he looks like. You know, a happy, happy guy who just likes, you know, growing, growing some bodies. And by growing, I mean letting them decompose in plain sight.
1: Okay, so if you can um, take me through the ways that body farms can acquire new specimens. Of course,
0: medical examiner's offices. That's bodies that are left unclaimed or unidentified. That's never a happy story. Yep. Second way is through family members, Uh, some Family members donate bodies of their loved ones. And third one is uh, filling out a donor consent form before dying.
1: Second one is families are like, we don't know what to do with it. Take it. So like, (laughs) we don't want to bury grandma. We
0: don't want to bury grandma. It's so much money for the caskets. And honestly, uh, uh, a casket is uh, a a lot of wood uh, that we're just shoving in the ground. What, What are we doing that for? It's like an apartment that you put in put in your your garden. So, so, so have I derailed your article long enough? On the other hand, this concept that Washington state is looking to enact is the ability to use human bodies instead of for scientific research to use them to fertilize the soil. So fertilizer, man. Yeah. It's basically make people into fertilizer. The natural organic reduction process yields a cubic yard of of soil per body, enough to fill about two large wheelbarrows. Um, Ooh, this is this is starting to feel it really icky. Yeah, exactly. This is you know it, thinking of yourself as two large wheelbarrows of fertilizer. Yeah, I don't know <laughs> if
1: you're having the same feeling that I am, but I'm realizing that I have a human body.
0: Yeah. You know, it takes us a while to to really come to grips with the fact that we are, in fact, living inside of human bodies. Yeah, uh, our our uh, uh, meat prisons uh,
1: will not always be our own. You found it th- just the, the the worst way to grow me out. <laughs> <laughs> This article, you just said meat prisons. (laughs) Our
0: meat prisons will not always be our own. And once our meat prisons and the rest and our consciousness separate, uh, what what do you do with that? I mean, do we really want that to just sit in the ground doing nothing for us? Or do we want it to be two full wheelbarrows full of things that can make things grow?
1: now I feel like you're calling me (laughs) fat. I'm
0: two full wheelbarrows. I mean, we're all two full wheelbarrows, okay, of of
1: potential ability. So, did you take note of the uh, company that's doing this? No, but I see it now. That's some quality pun.
0: Yeah, it's called Recompose. Nice. That that is far less threatening than uh, than the name of the Tutter Tutter App Corporation. Whatever they're. Oh, whatever God, their there's pictures. Was. Oh, fun. Please tell me that that isn't it can human only, fertilizer. It can only
1: be human fertilizer. Mm, mm, yeah.
0: That person just holding that also. Oh,
1: that's so I think that is from a cow.
0: Oh, yeah. Good. The bill would also authorize in Washington state the use of alkaline hydrolysis, which uses heat, pressure, water, and chemicals like lye to reduce remains. Two components of liquid and bone similar to cremated ashes that can be kept in urns or interred. So it, th- this bill is actually talking about, about a lot of different legalizing, a lot of different ways to not either bury people, which takes space and uh, has it, its own, own issues in terms of space, and uh, not cremate, which cremation has a lot of greenhouse gas effects and uh, a lot of other difficulties in terms of uh, energy use. And, uh, you know, th- this is the the goal of this is to find cleaner ways to dispose yeah, our it, bodies.
1: It For as absolutely disgusted <laughs> as I am by this idea, it is sort of like a green cremation.
0: It's the same thing as cremation, but it's useful. Mm hmm. Uh, whereas cremation spreading your ashes over the Atlantic Ocean from a cliff in Ireland is great and all but frankly that's just ashes it's it's not useful in the long term to our future so it's it,
1: it is legitimately dust in the wind. The great American poet Kenny Livgren once said <laughs> dust in the wind. All we are is dust in the wind. Yes.
0: Um, And in in this case, we could be soil in the dirt. Um,
1: Soil in the dirt? Yeah. So dirt in the dirt?
0: Yeah, pretty much. This is really about adding choices. The goal, Recompose says, is to build a sustainable business to make recomposition a permanent death care option, serve people for decades to come, and make our services available to all who want them. To be honest, I'm kind of really for this. I think I'm going to have to make sure I die in Washington State so that I can have them do this.
1: Just get, get edit your will. Make, make sure it's in your will. I don't get, have, it, get it done legal.
0: I don't have a will. Just get a will. Can this podcast serve as my last will and testament? I,
1: I'm not up on the the law. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'd like to submit a podcast, Will. <laughs> All right.
0: So that's that article. Uh, from here, uh, we're going to take a little break. And when
1: we come back, we're going to talk about whatever wikipedia article aiden has for us just to tease it you did say earlier taking a lot of taking up a lot of space my wikipedia article does have to do with taking up a lot of space we'll see you in a little bit so that was one of the like the more serious ones we did this yeah yeah it's not bad Dude, i think we played in the space i thought it. i thought that we had fun with it yeah that's all that matters I'm glad I, rem- I I'm glad one that I remembered about body farms and yeah two, was able to find that
0: yeah it was good um it's god it's already eight forty.
1: we should do you want to grab food once we're done I'm not really hungry really yeah hmm, okay let's see how let's see how we feel
0: <laughs> yeah once we're done I might I
1: might want to go home I don't know okay that's fine yeah I actually have that other half of that sandwich
0: so I can do that
1: yeah I should like I should go to bed in about 2 hours and 20 minutes
0: oh that's a good point yeah so we'll see (laughs) we'll see okay on that I'm gonna close these other articles yeah that's a good idea and let me know when you're ready I'm ready. Awesome. I didn't expect that. Oh, wait. We need to do the midsection. I thought that's
1: that what we were doing. What? I thought that's what we were doing. Oh, I thought, yeah. That's we're... why I scrolled to midsection. Right. Got it. <laughs> ready?
0: Thank you guys so much for listening to uh, this, our fourth episode of I Read the News Today. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. boy. Uh, if, if you are listening to this on iTunes or Spotify, please rate and review. If you aren't, what are you listening to this on?
1: Please tell me. That's oh. all we're on right now. Oh, if you aren't listening to it on those. If you're not
0: listening to not it on- Not if you
1: aren't listening to it in general.
0: Yeah. If you're li- not, if you're listening to it, but not on iTunes
1: and Spotify- I don't know how you're doing this. I mean, we might post this somewhere else later. Can we be those guys that hand out mixtapes in Times Square, but oh my instead God. it's a mixtape of our podcast? Yes.
0: That's what we're doing yeah. this Saturday.
1: But can we pretend that it's a hip-hop mixtape? We can. And then they're so dis- – Well, I mean, they're not going to listen to it. They're disappointed anyway. <laughs> they just,
0: you, you just handed them a
1: mixtape. I did get one. <laughs> so I got one in Philadelphia once, yeah. and it was – given to me saying that Lil Wayne was on one of the tracks. Wow. And he was, but the guy wasn't in the <laughs> with, studio with he Lil sa- Wayne. He sampled he Lil just, Wayne.
0: Yeah. He just sampled Lil Wayne, of course. Also... Please send us some weird, funny news articles. I I, I want to build up our cash, our supply, so that we got some. You will be mentioned on the show if you s- send them to us, either via our email at newsoboy at gmail.com or via Twitter at newsoboy. at us. Hashtag us. I don't know how this Social stuff works. media words. Yes, yeah, social media words. Thank you again so much for listening to this episode. We will be back with some Wikipedia stuff
1: right now. Are we going to AFS? AFS? Yeah. AFS. Aiden's favorite segment.
0: Yeah. Yes, I guess we are. You don't like the other segments on our show?
1: No, it's my favorite. I didn't say Aiden's. (laughs) The only one Aiden views positively. The only one Aiden's here for. All right. So we can't play the game this week where I ask you, what do you think this is? Because it's just a guy's name. Okay.
0: Great. So the guy's name is James Revis. Yes. That, that is great facial hair. Yes, it is. If you are not looking at this right now, you need to pause whatever you're doing. Look at the the Wikipedia page for James Revis. That is some of the best fa- facial hair I ever did see in my whole life.
1: Who is he? So I, when, when I, when I, Find a weird Wikipedia page and I want to save it for later. I write a very brief description and I try to use as few words as possible. Mm -hmm. So for James Revis, I wrote man who claimed he owned Arizona. Great. (laughs) Okay. and I want to be very clear. I'm not talking about the cans of juice that we've been drinking from.
0: Oh, yes, we are currently drink. That's that's an interesting coincidence that we both got Arizona tea or juice or whatever. That would got. be
1: an interesting coincidence if it was the first time we ever got Arizona tea. I don't think I've ever gotten it with you. You have you have like within the past month, I want to say. So this is also going to be the first in a series of articles on notable forgers. OK, what did he do to claim this so under the terms of the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo, which ended the Mexican-American War, the the United States agreed to honor existing land claims mm-hmm. that were issued by either the Spanish or Mexican governments. So James Rivas forged papers indicating that. He was to be the beneficiary of a land grant for much of the area that is now Arizona. Nice. And some of what is now New Mexico. Okay. Which, when I said earlier, this is about taking a lot of space.
0: Yes. That's what I meant. He literally stole some space.
1: Yes. So, what were the... This wasn't his first forgery. Okay. So, he enlisted in... He was um, born in Missouri and... After the outbreak of the American Civil War, he enlisted in the Confederate Army. He found out that he could reproduce his commanding officer's signature, which he used to forge papers, allowing him to basically get time off from the army.
0: That's fun.
1: And later, when when his fellow soldiers noticed how much time off he had, he started selling those to... Nice. uh, Yeah. And so... And it had... So he was in the Confederate Army, which was famously the bad guys. Famously. He, he at one point... He is... So he used his leave to desert the Confederate Army and join the Union Army. (laughs) (laughs) And then after the war, he traveled to Brazil, learned Portuguese, and this is basically how he was able to come up with the claim that he owned Arizona. So he um, forged documents that... He claimed – showed that he purchased the rights to a large Spanish land grant from Miguel Peralta, which became the Peralta Grant, which served as the basis for his claim of owning Arizona. He he claimed that he was first baron of
0: Arizona. Yes. And what were the – were there
1: people living there that he claimed that he had rights over? What's well, the- so he – I think his – my understanding is his plan was to use his claim of owning the land that is now Arizona to sell plots of it and therefore make money, which he could later exchange for goods and or services. Awesome. So it didn't work. Yep.
0: Why not? Because it was utter bullshit. <laughs> How did they determine that it was utter bullshit, as you
1: say? So it says so basically um, two Phoenix, two newspapers in Phoenix kind of looked into the claim of this grant, and they surveyed records um, in Mexico City and found no mention of the Peralta Grant, which formed the basis of the claim. I do want to point you towards <laughs> the section second claim. Yes. Um, what does that indicate to you? Just oh, I want to say just, the, just the, that there is a section yeah. that says second claim.
0: Oh, it, it says to me that he tried again. He
1: tried again. <laughs> <laughs> Um, was
0: it which was it still with Arizona?
1: Yes. Say, so same land, same land, same land. This claim rested on basically he claimed to have he. So he did in actuality marry a woman, yeah, who he claimed to be a descendant of the aforementioned Peralta, yeah, Miguel Peralta, which would mean there. He wouldn't need the grant that he needed earlier. Being a descendant of the person who owned the land, he would be entitled to the land. Okay. So he essentially forged a person. Forged an entire person. He found a person who looked enough like the Peraltas and used that to claim that he was the last surviving beneficiary of the land that Miguel Peralta owned.
0: So he wanted this land so badly. Really badly. Why this land? Is it just that he felt like he he started this con and felt like this was his big
1: shot? At making a ton of money? I don't think it was. That That implies a certain amount of pride. Yeah. That he had. I don't think it was. I think it was. He, he stood to be able to make a lot of money off leasing the land. So I... Also would like to go to the fraud revealed section. That's where I am now. And this is what interests me about notable forgers, which we'll get into as we go through the series of notable forgers. The like minute detail That. (laughs) that often exposes a fraud.
0: Yes. So the first one was that most of the claims... 18th century documents showed evidence of having been written with steel-nibbed pens, which was a rarely used tool until the 19th century instead of a quill. The second one is that printing styles on the Peralta documents differed with documents from the same time period, particularly in the use of the long S. Now, the long S, that's the S that looks like an F. Is it the S that is pronounced like an F? Yes, it's that F that doesn't have a cross, but it's still pronounced as an F. Yeah. And then there's also searches of Spanish archives for supporting documents,
1: had failed to find information on the Peralta grant. That was how, I mean, it was Mexico City that exposed the first ones, but wouldn't you go right to the archives?
0: Yeah, of course. And multiple spelling errors and grammar issues were present in the Peralta documents, situation highly atypical of documents from the Spanish royal court. So- he didn't Stick get to to the, the specifics. He didn't dot his get, I's or cross his T's. He gotta get the specific He didn't he didn't cross his F's. He didn't cross his F's. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of absurd. Rivas then filed a suit against the United States in the Court of Claims, claiming the government had taken land belonging to him. A
1: level of commitment to the yeah. that, that is very admirable. Mm-hmm. The government had
0: reserved that's that's bold. That's bold to Not only – he didn't double down on this. He failed twice. He didn't triple down on this. He went at this issue every way he could.
1: Now, that was kind of the mistake was filing suit, getting the law involved, because it didn't end great for him. Yeah. As you'll see in the section criminal trial. Yes. It's not against him.
0: Yeah. So uh, the trial for Revis's civil action began on Monday, June 3rd, 1895 at 10 a.m. He never show, showed up. No one representing him ever showed up. The first motion was from a lawyer representing a group of 106 individuals related to Miguel Peralta. These real Peralta family members had heard about the case and hoped for a portion of any settlement. So he he was pretending to be a member of the Peralta family. Well, have to have married into. Yes. Yeah. And- Actual members of this family were hoping that if they showed up to this this lawsuit, they would get part of a settlement. That's insane.
1: Which, 106,
0: 106 individuals. 106 individuals. He couldn't have found one
1: of them who wanted to actually marry him so that he could- And then kill the subsequent 105. <laughs> well, that's- This is a dark episode. We'll <laughs> see. Seeing- so, it could have been darker. My other notable forger is darker.
0: Oh, good. So, then let's get to the criminal trial. Dr. A.T. Sherwood, who led an attempt to colonize the Grant- Told reporters, it is impossible that any one man could have forged all the signatures in this case. Rivas would have had to forge over 200 Spanish documents and signatures. No man could have done it. It is the most improbable thing conceivable. Rivas pleaded not guilty
1: and requested release on bail. So, wh- where does it say what he was being charged with? Forgery, presenting false documents to the court of private land claims, and conspiracy to defraud the United States government. 42 count indictment.
0: No one was willing to post the U.S. $500 bail. He spent a year in jail awaiting trial. And they made him cut off his mutton chops. Oh, God, yeah. His wonderful, wonderful facial hair. That's so sad. He was found guilty, sentenced two years, and a fine of $5,000. Upon hearing the verdict, Revis told his lawyer that he was sure the verdict would be reversed by the Supreme Court.
1: It does beg the question of it's it's sort of the the idea that if you tell a lie enough, it's not a lie if you believe it to be true. Yeah. You know what?
0: I think we should. I think we should give it to him. Just give him Arizona. Yeah. Give him Arizona. Forty nine states. We'll pick up one somewhere. We can. Make Puerto three, Rico. Three Dakotas. A third Dakota. I was going to say Puerto Rico, can, but no. We need another Dakota. W- would it be East Dakota? Would it be West Dakota? Would it be Middle Dakota? Fanning. San- San- Dakota <laughs> Fanning.
1: <laughs> I'm with you. Did he just, like, disappear after that? No, he died in um, 1914 and was buried in the pauper's grave.
0: Okay. What a life. And that... Is James Rivas. Yeah. Just that facial hair, man. That's really it. Like that, That's what gets me. That is our episode for the week. Yeah. Except we just have uh, one more headline yep. to read. You ready? All right. This week's headline is five-year-old Michigan boy calls 911 to ask for McDonald's. It's pretty good. Yeah. 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 So that's been the episode for the week. I'm Lowell. And I'm Aiden. And have a great week.